Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 309 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 24th, 2014. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk a lot about the NFL Combine and the USC players that are there, some of the players that aren't there, just seeing how they're going to do going forward to the NFL Draft, which is coming up. I believe in May. And if you have any questions or comments, we also love to hear from you. So drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail if you call 206-888-6755. Or go to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail on the left side of the page right from your computer. Any voicemails, try to keep them under a minute so we can play them on the air. That would be great. We appreciate that. We'll have Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. And we have Coach Harvey Hyde. Here right now. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Ryan, man, you sound fired up today. You're right on it. You must have had some nice sunshine, a lot of rest this weekend. I uh, went for a long hike, Coach, up in your neck of the woods, in Altadena, kind of that area, and then uh, played a lot of beach volleyball yesterday. So, yeah, I got a lot of exercise. I'm a little sore, but I'm ready to talk. At least my voice isn't sore. Well, it sounds good. I'll tell you, that did you some good. But, oh, yeah, hey, it's great to be with everyone out there. And thank you very much for being a part of our podcast. Every Monday we tape this. And we want to say hello to you all. Huddle up and buckle up, as I say. And I haven't done this for a while. Okay. And so I want to give out my Twitter address. Oh, yes. At Coach Harvey Hyde. At Coach Harvey Hyde. I try to send out things all the time. You're, You're a follower, and I'm a follower of yours. And and I tell you, I send out things at different times, things I forget to do during the show. How do you like that? Right. No, and I, I do that as well. And, again, I forgot to mention that. But I'm glad that you're on Twitter, Coach, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me at Inside Troy. We do like to use uh, Twitter fairly frequently. It's a, a good way to get in contact with the show. Last week we did some Twitter questions. So it's it's a lot of fun, Coach. And I like you. I'm glad you're on Twitter now. I think it's a lot of fun. Well, thank you. And I've learned how to do it. And, you know, I always say who my guests are on my shows. And if you want to listen to them, how you listen to them. And, I've had some great guests on USC Trojan Talk. I'm looking in the forum. I have Andrea Gaston on this week. I've had, uh, well, last week I had Heather Cox on from ESPN, who's outstanding. I mean, she did the BCS Bowl game and the Rose Bowl game. In fact, she's on the A team with Brett Musburger and Kurt Herbstreit. And, you know, we talked about the whole thing, how they prepare, how they know when the game, their next game, how they do the production. So it's a lot of good things, and I don't want people to miss that. If, if they're not interested, I certainly understand, but I just wanted to say, just get on the Twitter, and then you can just make up your own mind whether you want to listen to it or not. Right. You follow at Coach Harvey Hyde, and you can give them your feedback. We love to get feedback on Twitter as well, so it's a great way to get in contact with us about USC football or any other subject you want to talk about. We'll talk with you on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. And before we jump into the show, Coach, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets sctickets.com that's the website or you can call 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything sporting events hockey will be starting back up again now the olympics are over string uh, spring training uh, a lot of stuff going on with baseball so stuff going on there some basketball games left things like that so check it all out at sctickets.com and uh coach i think the the main topic we wanted to cover today is the uh combine but we had a couple other questions on the team that I think we can go to first, and then we'll kind of end it with the combine stuff if if that works for you. Um, and there was an interesting one from Melvin, and he wants to know, he said, so if you look back at the running back position from last year to this year, Harvey Hyde talked about, you know, you wanting to have, you were opposed to having a, a running back co- by committee. You wanted to have, uh, you know, one or two guys kind of be the main guy. But with the guys coming back, uh, Davis, Isaac, Madden, and Allen. How do you think they're going to split those things up there since there's four guys there? And he actually didn't even mention DJ Morgan. Um, if you know, if you do want only one running back or two running backs, how do you kind of tell those other guys or how do you, you split things up when there's some really other talented tailbacks there? Well, I, I think it's uh, there isn't any one way of telling them. I think you go into the spring saying, hey, guys, the position's wide open. 
and uh, it's uh, somebody's position now. All of you have had some type of success here. So it's not like you haven't had success. You've all experienced it. Some of you got hurt where you couldn't con uh, continue, but somebody stepped up and continued it. Even Ty Isaac, at the end of the year, the opportunities he got looked good. So they've all looked good at times uh, in playing, and it's time now for someone to, to step up and be good all the time at everything they do, whether it's pass blocking, whether it's running the football or being a receiver, or whatever you have to do. Today, uh, a, a back has to do a little bit of everything. I mean, it's no longer, you're not just a running back. You're a receiver, you, you block, you do everything. So the guy that does all this and does it the best is going to be our starter. And he's going to be the guy that stays out there in the field. And now you have two ways to go. You can sit around and mope, and you can be a locker room lawyer and tell everybody how you're getting screwed. Or you can compete and be there and be ready to step up when it's time to step into the game in case there's an injury. Or you want to make a change at the running back position. Let's say the guy's just having a bad day, fumbling the football or dropping passes or confused on the game plan. Well, be ready to go. So I think that's the way you got to approach it, and I think it's a very difficult thing to do when you have that many great running backs. You can give some people a turn occasionally, but I think you're a better football team and you're a better running back when you continually stay in the game and you get a role, you get a feel of what's going on, and you, you look at the blocking schemes and you recognize the defenses and you know exactly how to block a certain guy. Maybe you got your butt beat by a him last time, but maybe you need to cut him to get him this time or whatever you need to do. But if you continually rotate, you really don't get a feel and you really don't get warmed up. Where backs really become great backs is they get warmed up and they start liking the run. They love the hits. They start feeling it, feeling good. So that's the way I'd approach it in the spring. And I, if I wasn't sure on who the guy was going to be in the fall, I'd continue it too until I knew who that person was. And then I'd name, hey, this is our starting running back. And, I, and I'll tell you, if you allowed every other guy on the offensive side of the football, the other 10 players, to put down who they thought was the best running back and who should start, not let the running back decide who should start, almost, almost everybody, the other 10 players, would name the same guy the coach is going to name. So, you know, the object of this game is to win. And the object of it is to get your best players on the field. Now, maybe they're not the best player to running back. They can play something else. But you've always heard me say, they don't have your players watching the game. Have them ready to go or have them in the game. That makes sense, Coach. Um, all right. Well, let's see. Yeah, we're going to be curious to see what happens this spring and then, of course, this fall with all the running backs there. If D.J. Morgan will be healthy, if he'll be in the mix and – you know, you got the MVP, <laughs> uh, Buck Allen from last year, you know, but Trey Madden coming by, all those guys. So we'll see what happens with all that. Um, we have a question from Jim. Or, in... or let me tell you this, or use two running backs. Use two running backs in certain sets, and you certainly have the backs to do that. Yeah, that's a possibility too because um, there's not that many. There's not a lot of tight ends. There's not a lot of uh, fullbacks. So I, I think there's there's room for two back sets. We'll see if Steve Sarkeesian ends up doing Something like that. Um, Jim and Canyon has a question. He said, what do you do if in a competition for a position, if two players are performing equally well in practice and scrimmages, but one player is more talented and has a higher ceiling and the other one has more experience? This might apply, for example, to Brown and Kessler by the end of fall camp. So how would you distinguish those kind of players, Coach? Well, myself, if they're both equal and they both had great practices, and they're both potentially great players, I go with the guy with experience. I mean, you can't replace experience. You can't replace a 12-football game season or 13 games. You can't, or 14 games like FC had last year. You can't replace that. Experience is what it's all about. You see the game happen in front of you. and you, you know, Not that uh, Max Brown or anybody else, Green or anybody else, can't do just as well. But I, if they're both actually equal uh, in performance, and, and then I go with the guy that's had experience. There's no question about it. Now, if the other guy's got more talent and the other guy's got more experience, then you got to make a decision. you got to decide on if this is the future you're building on or it, it, it has the guy that 
you went with last year is he reached his maximum and he just won't get any better. Then you got a difficult situation if the guy that's just as equal but has as far as ability, as far as what's shown so far, but he's got more talent and could be better than the other person, now you got a problem. It's very difficult to decide. And, and again, you have to sit down and, and say, okay, guys, uh, do, we have, uh, do we have a problem here and how should we solve it? And Should we go with the guy that's got the experience and the MVP of the Las Vegas Bowl, or should we say the guy underneath him has, gives us more potential as far as winning bigger in the future? So uh, it's hard. It's really hard when you get to that quarterback position. But you got to make decisions. That's why they pay the big bucks. They don't just pay it two, three million a year to sit back and and guess at things. You you got to go with your gut feeling. You got to make that decision, and you can't doubt it. And you can't change it all the time. And you can't have confusion in it all the time. Because what that does is disrupts the whole rhythm of your football team, and and uh, you just want to do it one time and move on. And, and, and but it's it's not easy. That's not easy, Ryan, especially when it's a quarterback. No, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But there, I think there's going to be situations like that that occur, Coach, where there's guys that are, are pretty close. Maybe one has more experience. But even experience with a new coaching staff, that's interesting to say, like, how much that's going to play into a factor because it's not experience, like, in your – you know, that you've seen he's got more on-field experience but with, with another coaching staff. I don't know if that will come into play as well. It will. I'll tell you that right now, and I'm going to judge them as I see them with my eyes, not what they did before. I'm going to judge them on what happens in the spring. My best players are going to be on the field, and in the fall camp with the new players that will be coming in, I'm not going to have my players sitting on the sideline watching the game with me. Uh, they get paid too much for that. <laughs> they got to get. They, you know what I mean? They get a full scholarship. They got to get out there, and I'm not into this union thing that they're talking about or that football players doing it. Northwestern, we can talk about that sometime if someone asks a question on my feelings on that. But, heck, you gotta, you got to put your best players under your system, under your coaching, with your staff on the football field. And if it's benching, a starter from a year ago, you bench them. Because when you come in, you tell players, and when you make a statement, hey, every position's up for grabs, you better mean that. Because the first time you don't do that, and the players know you're not playing the best player, and they know that you're going to be questioned as a head football coach. All right. Uh, well, let's talk about the combine. And before we get into the guys that are there, there was a few quote-unquote uh, snubs, I guess you, I guess you could say. Um, you thought Kevin Graff might be invited, the, the offensive tackle. Uh, John Martinez would have at least been really impressive putting up bench press numbers, um, you know, we'll see what those guys, we, we've seen former USC guys like Malcolm Smith go on to not go to the combine and have success in the NFL. So nothing there, but here's a question about one uh, Morgan Breslin. So I want to play this voicemail question for you, coach. Here you go. With Morgan Breslin not being invited to the NFL combine and with a slight opportunity of him getting a red shirt, do you think that's an option that he'll actually um, actively pursue? Thanks. Well, you know, uh, right now I think he'll actively pursue uh, some type of uh, – he probably will have to get an agent. He'll probably have to be a free agent or, 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 you know, uh, somebody to sign. He probably won't get drafted because no one's not really sure how well he is unless on pro day he's well, ready to go, and does a tremendous job at pro day, which is uh, about a couple of weeks away. For USC, but you know myself, I really would like to see Breslin come back. I mean, you know, he really didn't have a second year. I know he's a junior college transfer, but so what? I think he's a quality football player. I think that he should come back and actively be a part of the Trojan football team. They need the leadership. Uh, he, yes, he was injured, and, and I don't think he wants to end his career that way. I would think he'd want to come back and star again for the Trojans, be healthy, probably maybe be a captain, lead the Trojans uh, on the football field, and and then be invited back to the combine or get drafted. Uh, I think he's a fine football player, and and maybe he doesn't like school. Maybe he's not happy at USC. It's, It's interesting hearing 
what George Uko said in his interview back at the Combine. I don't know if you heard that, Ryan, or not, but he said that he felt he had done everything he needed to do for USC. He was fortunate never to be hurt at USC. He never missed a practice at USC. And uh, they've been through a lot as far as with the coaching changes and all of that, and he just thought it was time to go. Yeah. And he just basically said it. That's exactly what he said. Well, I don't know if Morgan feels that way. Morgan Morgan only played at USC one year, basically, coming out of junior college. I think he had a great year. He surprised everyone for a junior college player to come in and play as well as he did. And uh, you've got to hope junior college players play that way. Or why recruit them? But I wouldn't want to end my career like that. I think he has more potential. He can play. And you and I talked about it a little bit before the show, and you really did explain it a good way to me. So I'm going I'm to allow you to explain it now to our listeners that you explained it to me because he could come back. There isn't a slight chance that he could get a redshirt year or a medical waiver. There's a good chance. Yeah, ahead, te- yeah, technically. So, and I, I, we did put up that George Uko interview, by the way, Coach. So you can hear that. And he, he mentioned that that Morgan Breslin would have been a top pick if he came out after his you know fir- first year at USC, gets hurt, doesn't even get invited to the combine. So that was part of Uko's reasoning. But essentially, what the rule is that uh, Morgan Breslin played in game number seven, which is past the halfway point, because USC had thirteen regular season games. That means, basically, if he played only in Game 6, they could put it to the conference, and the conference could kind of rubber stamp it and go through to the NCAA to get, try to get this waiver to come back for a sixth year um, or for, you know, for that extra year. Because he played in Game 7, the conference's hands are tied. They can't approve that. So you would have to, USC would have to go through an approval process, like a, an appeal process through the NCAA, which is still possible. And there's different circumstances that would make it possible. Part of it, in Morgan Breslin's case, there's some games he played in that was like one play or two plays. It, it didn't, you know, it wasn't like he played seven full games. So USC, and if, if Morgan Breslin wanted to come back, there's an avenue to make that happen. It's not guaranteed, but there would probably be a decent chance, in my opinion, that the NCAA would approve that. My issue is we haven't heard anything about that ever even you know coming up, we know it technically could happen. Uh, you know what we're hearing; it doesn't sound like Morgan Breslin has really a whole lot of interest in doing that. So, so I guess there's two parts of this. Technically, could he come back? You could work at it, and it, it, there's a certain there's certainly a possibility. Uh, does he want to come back? That's what seems to be that we haven't been able to determine, but it doesn't sound like that's something he wants to do. So, it's. Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. I agree with you, Coach. It'd be great to have him back for another year, but we just haven't heard anyone from his camp or anyone around USC ever saying anything like that. And I'm glad you explained it, because I think that really does describe what this gentleman wanted to know. I think it really does. It describes that you want to got to want to come back. Yeah. <laughs> you got to put together a doctor's reports, and uh, the university would uh, submit it. And I have, I would think for sure he'd get another chance. He barely played this last year at all, but. You know, you got to want to play. You yeah. can't make a guy play. You know, I don't even hear him talking about playing in the NFL, really. And I mean, you, he, he never wanted to be interviewed before, but now he's really in, in hiding, you know? Well, the, the interview thing is interesting, Coach. And, and the one thing, if you cover USC football, like we've been doing for years, they do have – it's very open. So you can talk to any assistant coach. You can talk to any player. You know, there's really not a whole lot of restrictions on who you can talk to. And I think it helps – players or when they go these guys that are at the nfl combine they've had so many interviews at usc more than you would have if you were at alabama or someplace else i think it helps them through the interview process because they have a lot more experience well morgan Breslin was a guy that never did an interview like he just wouldn't talk to anyone so he wasn't really getting that experience and i don't know i'm not saying that that's hurting him but i don't think it helped him you know i mean if you see a guy like devon Kennard getting he's out there in the media all the time you see his face around i mean i think you get attention for yourself that beyond your numbers you get your attention for yourself just in the media and i think that when when combine invites come out i don't think that hurts i'm not saying it that hurt morgan breslin or or not but it certainly didn't help him i think through the process so maybe if he opened up and did more interviews could that have helped him? i'm not really sure but for the most part usc players do and they seem to do pretty well when it comes to that interview process at the combine 
I think that's great. I tell you, uh, and, uh, and you know, at other universities, uh, they just stipulate certain days you can talk to the players and who you can talk to. So, uh, yeah, I do. I agree with that 100%. Uh, it teaches a young man how to grow up and control and communicate with people, and that's part of college. Yeah. You hide a young man from that type of experience, I think you're really hurting his uh, chances as far as in the future to interview for, for a job or talk to people and and I think SC is really good at that. But you, you have just about everybody on the, the podcast. You really do. <laughs> and, and I think it's tremendous. I enjoy it very much. Oh, thanks, Coach. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the guys that are at the Combine. And uh, for Monday, we'll, we'll start with today since I was just watching it. I got to see George Uko this morning a little bit. And uh, while we were taping, actually, his official numbers on the 40 came out. He ran a uh, 499, which I think is pretty good for a guy his size. He was measured at uh, 6'3", 284. Um, you know, big hands, like 10 and an eighth inch hands, uh, 33 and a quarter inch, uh, arm length. So that's pretty good. He had uh, almost a 30 inch vertical leap, uh, 110 inch broad jump. So we got to see him. He looked pretty agile. I thought this morning when I got to see some of the drills, unfortunately, NFL network only talked about Jadavion Clowney and Michael Sam's on the, on the broadcast. Those are the only two defensive linemen they really even mentioned. So the other guys were just kind of going through the process and no one talked about him. But from what I saw from Uko, he looked pretty good. And Devon Kennard's actually going with the linebackers, which is, I think, probably with taping that's going on right now, but I obviously get to see it because we're taping this. But he measured in at 6'3", 249. Um, he had 23 reps on the bench, so I think it shows some pretty good strength. Um, so we'll see what he does on the field with 40 and all that kind of stuff uh, a little bit later today or by the time this podcast goes up, he'll probably have gone through that. But those are two of the, the from this morning – uh, Monday morning at the combine, and maybe share your thoughts a little bit on those guys and and where you think they could be, you know, how they could be successful in the NFL. Well, first of all, I think they're both great athletes. Uh, I I would have loved to see George Uko come back. Everybody knows that that's a stupid statement, but they all agree with that. Only one person determined that, and that was him. In fact, two years ago, I remember standing next to his father at practice, and I said, "Your son will play in the NFL someday." And he looked at me and he says. Really? I said, certainly. He has all the tools to do that, and he will. He'll be a defensive end, outside guy. He'll do a great job. I really think he'll do a great job. He's a great kid, a great player. Spoke very well in his interview. Intelligent kid. I think he'll do a great job. So I'm sorry to see him leave, but again, you want to wish him the best of luck. I thought he had a great – what you're telling me as far as the numbers, I think he had a great performance. And another thing that they always look at, too, is competition – that this player played against over the last three years, and he played against great competition, great teams, great competition every week, played at a program where everybody got ready to play. The first thing pro scouts want to do is give me the SC film, or the SC tape, why they know everybody brings their game against USC. So uh, I think he'll he'll be drafted. What round, I can't say, but I think he, he, he made the right decision. I hate to say this. Yes, one more year. He could have experienced an injury, and that's what he was afraid of. Uh, and that's something to be concerned about. For me not to say that uh, he shouldn't be concerned about that is wrong, especially if you're going to be a one or two selection pick. I don't know if it would be a one, but it would be a two or a three right in that area, I believe, but who knows. Denard, uh, he, you know, he's, he's paid his dues, and it's time for him to play in the NFL. He'll play in the NFL somewhere. What level and when he'll be drafted, I'm not sure. Somewhere in the third or fourth rounds, I think. He's had the same experience that everybody else has. He's played two different defenses. So, again, they've had a chance to evaluate him and Uko in two different looks. And I think that's really, really good when you're able to play two different defenses under two defense coordinators and and, and, and see what his abilities are. I think the number one thing that surprised me the most during the combines, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I didn't watch them all day because there was a lot of things and I had some things to do. But uh, Marcus Martin was listed, as far as what I saw, as the number one center in America. Did you see that? I did, yeah. Uh, he and, was. And it... that, just, that just just shocked me in a way because uh, I, I thought Marcus definitely should have stayed. So they knew something that I didn't know, Ryan. Yeah, he he was uh, he weighed in at three twenty, was six foot three. Um, he benched uh, two hundred twenty five pounds twenty three times. He didn't run any of the time drills, so I think he's going to do that March twelfth at the USC Pro Day. Um, 
Yeah, they, they, people have him high up on the on the, the draft board, and I think Deion Bailey's another guy that you know you question maybe if he should come out. He might be the second USC guy drafted after Marquise Lee. We're not sure. He he checked in at six feet, two hundred pounds, um, and we're going to see. We haven't seen the safeties out there yet, so we'll see what he does as far as forty time and all that. Um, but he'll be another interesting prospect. But yeah, those guys are, are ranked pretty high for coming out as juniors. Well, basically, I think they're ranked higher than anybody else, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it depends which you know who which analyst you're looking at. But you know, if you're watching the NFL Network, I like Mike Mayock a lot. I mean, he watches a ton of film, and I trust him probably more than the other guy. I mean, no one's perfect, but I like what his uh, you know his analysis and how he puts them. Up. And they definitely has those guys ranked uh, really high. And you know what, the highest ranked center we saw like uh, Ryan Khalil when he came. I think he was a second round pick. And he was, you know, and he became an NFL All-Pro. So uh, we'll see if Marcus Martin can kind of follow in his footsteps. And they had Marquise Lee, the second-round best receiver. Watkins from uh, Clemson was number one. And Marquise ran, I think, a 4-5 or whatever he ran, 4-4-5 or whatever he ran, something in that neighborhood. But remember, one thing he does, I've never seen him get run down. Now, I've never seen Watkins get run down either. But you have to determine how well does a receiver, a skilled player, carry his pads. Remember, uh, I've never seen a guy get in a sprinter stance like that in a football <laughs> uniform and run. Okay? Right. So that that is something that, and, and time them with football equipment on. Some players can't carry the equipment as well as others. Now, Watkins and Lee can. Some people can. So, you know, a lot of these things uh, are like a circus, you know, three-week ring circus. You got all these athletes out there, and they go from the – I mean, uh, how does the broad jump really affect football? Are you going to get down and jump over the line of scrimmage? <laughs> I, I mean, you know you know what I mean. Right. Sometimes how do they relate to football? They don't have a courage drill. I mean, you're not going to slam dunk. Are they checking to see if they can jump high in the air to knock down passes or to jump – up and slam the ball over the goal line after they score. I mean, a lot of these things, they have their reasons. The size of their hands, all of these things, they have their reasons. Don't get me wrong. They spend a billion dollars on all these evaluation purposes. But as I've said before, and I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, how can you tell they're a football player? I like football players. Right. And a football player, I can watch... As a sophomore, like these guys start watching them when they start playing, Ryan, they watch him play in all their games. They come to the practices. They have a pro day. They have every single thing that they can see when the kids are in a uniform. Now they want to go out, and because a guy can bench press 225, 40 times, does that make him a football player? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. I think sometimes it just confuses you more on who is the best player. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. But uh, they have their ways, and I don't think it's a, it's a screw-around event. It's very serious. If you notice, it's very quiet. There isn't any cheering. There isn't any clapping. Coaches are sitting all by themselves talking very quietly. Head coaches even sitting by themselves. They don't have staff members around them. So it's done very seriously. But I don't know how you evaluate them to really know if they're a football player after you've seen them so much. I think if it helps anybody at all, it helps the coaches. Because the coaches haven't really had a chance to watch these kids play. But again, you're not going to draft a kid off of what he does at the Combine. You're going to draft a kid, I am anyway, on what he does on the football field. So that's just my opinion. Yeah, and you know, I agree with you, coach. You have to watch all the the tape and everything. And and sometimes the combines just like to check off some boxes. But there are players that ran a really fast forty time and got drafted because they're apparently fast. But when you're talking about a forty time, this is like a track thing. You're in there and it you've trained to run that specific event. Like you said, there's no pads. And Marquis e. Lee ended up running an officially a four five two forty. But I think you look at him, he's faster in the game than he is on the track. And I think there's guys that are faster on the track than they are in the game. Uh, but Marcus Lee showed some athleticism. He had a 30 inch, 38-inch vertical leap. 
127 inch broad jump, I think was pretty good. That was the third best of the wide receiver. So he's he showed his athleticism there. I think he ran fast enough. They probably would like them to be in the four fours, but I don't think it's going to hurt him as far as being the number two overall wide receiver. I think you know he'll it'll go Sammy Watkins and then Marquise Lee. That's the way I expect it, but you know we'll see what happens. And uh, let's see, we got Xavier Grimble was another guy that came out there, coach. He came out early. Some people weren't really sure uh, as far as what he was going to do. But he measured in at 6'4 and uh, 257. Um, didn't do any of the uh, – he didn't run the 40 or any of those time drills. So I think he'll do those at the, the pro day as well. But, you know, I think some people kind of questioned him coming out early there. But he's got the pretty good size, and, and we'll see if he ends up making it as an NFL tight end. But he seems to have the potential to do that. Well, Xavier Grimble, I've watched him play in high school. Uh, he was a great basketball player at the same time. I think he's a great athlete. I would have liked to have seen him stay another year. I'd like to have seen all those players stay another year. I don't like this coming out early. I just tell you. But, yes, I don't blame the kids for coming out early, but you can come out early. But uh, I think he's going to be a great player. I sort of thought he could have really improved his status playing under Steve Sarkeesian, but he utilizes his tight ends. He would have caught more balls in one season than he did his entire career at USC if he had come back and played this year. Uh, he's, he's a tremendous athlete. He can catch the ball. He can be a great receiver outside unless they're using their receivers now, big tight ends outside to put have mismatches. Uh, he runs well. Uh, I think he's a great player. I mean, uh, I, I love his family. His family's got a great family. Uh, I know his father well, but he's from Las Vegas. Also, Marcus Martin's dad, Gary Martin, great guy. You know, I hate to see his son go, but right now he knew more about it than we did, but he's ranked as the number one center in this year's NFL draft, which is a great draft, but Grimble's a great talent. He's a great athlete. He just, I don't think, because of the rotations of the tight ends can, all the time and not being utilized as far as a receiver didn't really have the experience that he should have and catch enough balls and block enough to, to make that, that step. Will he make the NFL? I think he will. There's no question about it. Will he be drafted? I think he will. So I think that's the best way to explain that. Um, and then, Coach, one last one we haven't talked about. One of the two actual seniors of the the uh, seven guys at the Combine from USC, five of them are, are juniors, but Silas Red, the uh, running back, measured in at 5'10", 212 pounds, and uh, ran a 4'7", so not you know super fast. But he had a, he could, good jumps. He had a 37-inch vertical, which is pretty good, and 122-inch um, broad jump, and pretty strong, 225 pounds. He put it up 18 times on the bench press, but... You know, I think that 40 time are what people are going to look at. You know, had a lot of production at Penn State and, and came to USC, kind of got injured a bunch. But what do you think about Silas Red as a, a, a prospect for the NFL? Well, you, you know, I don't like to be uh, negative, say, uh, on players. But Silas didn't have the career that uh, he was expecting to have. And uh, he had a pretty good first year at USC when he came out. But... Uh, I don't know if he if he has what it takes to be drafted by an NFL team. Will he have be able to sign as a free agent? Probably. Uh, will he make it? I think he'll be on the bubble. Uh, I think he's a great kid, tough kid, intelligent kid, all those things. But that doesn't make any difference in the NFL. It's your ability to play on the football field. Uh, I think he'll have a tough time making the NFL. I think that's the best way of saying it. Didn't get much experience this year. Uh, speed means so much, and toughness means he's not that he's not a tough kid, but he's not. I don't think he has the forward lean that you need uh, to play in the NFL. Now I hope he proves me completely wrong. I want him to prove me completely wrong on my evaluation. But there are some great, talented running backs this year in the draft. There are, so we'll see. Maybe he gets picked up as a free agent and uh, makes it there. So we'll we'll see what happens. Best of luck to Silas Red. We'll see where he ends up uh, in the NFL if he's able to make it. And we had one question, Coach. We had, we got to talk about these guys in the combine. Sean had a question about how do you compare? How would you compare? 
Devon Kennard to Nick Perry. Perry went in the first round. Kennard seems more like a three to four round guy, according to the experts in the mock draft. How do you compare those two players? Well, uh, Kennard, I don't know if he played up to his abilities. When he came in, he was a five-star player, and it seemed as though he was one of those type of players, and, and I've had these type of players that were playing as good as a senior as he played as a freshman, or did, how much better did he get from high school? What's his potential now as far as will he get better in the NFL? He seems to have always played at the same rate. I've always seen him play well, uh, you know, sometimes not as well, but always the same. You didn't see leaps and frogs uh, as far as getting better and better and better and and becoming a great All-American, which, uh, you know, could have happened. He had great games. 42 had great games. He had some games. You didn't know he was in the game. Uh, But he's he's a leader. He's a great player. Uh, He just never got that much better in my eyes. He always played the same. Nick Perry. Now, who's Perry playing with? Green Bay. He's with Green Bay, yeah. So yeah. Nick he came Perry. out as a junior year as well. Huh? Came out. He's from Michigan originally. Came out as junior year as well. He, uh, I think there are different types of players. Um, I can't really. I didn't see him play that much. Okay, so I'm not going to guess. Uh, I don't. I can't compare them both. Okay, and I'm not going to even try. So rather than try to say that I can tell I can't compare the both okay so I'm not going to even do it because I didn't see him play that much to know exactly the difference yeah and it, you know would you watch him? I think he's changed his, his style a little bit in the NFL coach but uh he's been a great pass rusher he sacks the quarterback well at Green Bay I think he's one of those guys that sometimes you make a transition from high school to college and you and you don't get better I think he got better, and then some guys the transition from college to the NFL. I think he still got better. So he's he's been a really productive NFL player. And if Devon Kennard could even get close to what Nick Perry's production level is at the NFL, I think it'd be a kudos to him. But um, I agree. You know, Kennard, I I thought played pretty well this year, missing a whole you know his whole year the the year before with that pectoral injury. I think w- was tough. But he just actually you know, according to the. Uh, I'm watching on Twitter as we're doing this now. Kennard actually ran the, a really fast, unofficial 40 time of uh, 4.62. We'll see what his official time is. But I think if he can do that and show – maybe the 40 times don't mean a lot, Coach. But if he's, like, shown to be the fastest or one of the fastest uh, linebacker 40 times, that might be something that helps his draft stock as well. I agree with you. It does. Uh, he's got to make sure also he works on his lateral movement. Uh, see, little things that I notice, like containing uh, in your pass rushing, little things as far as technique working, uh, That those are the things I look at when I evaluate a player. Does he lose control? Does he does he contain well? Does he stay to the outside, or does he go to the inside when he knows he stays, should stay to the outside? And, and these are the little things that they'll look at on tape to make a determination on exactly what round he'll go in. But he's a kid that came with a lot of rave, and uh, I just don't know if he got that much better, you know. All right, Coach. Well, thanks again for sharing all your insights on the NFL Combine. We'll be able to talk more about the draft that's coming up, but more importantly, we want to talk about spring football in a couple of weeks. I can't wait, Coach. Spring football starts. It's like getting back in the football season. We get to see what Steve Sarkeesian is doing out there. It should be a lot of fun. I agree with you 100%. That's why – you know, a lot of things they're doing out there now as they get ready for spring practice on the, on the field. I don't know how much they're doing of new things as far as play calling and so on. I know the kids are talking about how much easier it is as far as understanding what the play is. But I want to see it. You want to see it. I know the fans want to see it out there. And I think everyone is really looking forward to this coming football season. I really do. And, and, and I think it could be a good one. All right. Well, I agree with you, Coach. Hard to not agree with that. We'll see. A couple weeks from now, we'll be able to talk about that. But uh, thanks again for uh, coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. And for all of you out there, thank you very much for listening, and uh, thank you for participating. Thanks, Ryan. No problem, Coach. And uh, everyone else back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk to uh, Dan Weber about some of these offseason workouts as USC football gets ready for spring ball. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast.
Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here at the Peristyle Podcast. We've got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, combine going on, guess, and kind of uh, going on the way uh, you know we expected, I think, with uh, the USC guys and pretty much everybody else. Uh, kind of interesting to watch, but it doesn't seem like, you know, it's as exciting this year because it just seems like it's going the way you thought it would go. Yeah, we got to see some of these guys perform. Uh, you know, not, not a lot of numbers that are jumping out um, as far as like 40 times and, and stuff like that. You know, I mean, if you want to do quote-unquote elite speed by some of the USC players, there's been some top performers like in Vertical Leap and and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of going the way you thought it would go. You didn't think Marquis Lee was going to be the, the speed burner, but he'll still be, you know, probably the second overall wide receiver drafted, it looks like. Yeah. I was a little surprised with his track background. I actually uh, expected him maybe to get a little cleaner starts and things like that or a little, you know, smoother on that part of it, which I think probably cost him a little bit time-wise. Uh, one guy that could have had, uh, had John Martinez gotten invited from everything we're hearing, he probably would have, uh, would have killed the bench press. And uh, I would guess good chance to, to be the number one guy. Uh, so uh, we'll have to watch that on Pro Day. But, uh, but that would have been nice to see John uh, get a chance to do what we keep hearing he's doing. in the uh, And he was always doing it when he was at USC as well. But we hear that He's really uh, he's working out in Salt Lake City. He will come back to uh, USC for uh, for Pro Day March uh, March 12th, but uh, is killing it we hear, and maybe getting into the 40s on uh, on uh, on two, 225 pound reps. So uh, wow, getting into getting into record territory. Nobody's going to come close to Oregon State Stephen uh, Paella, who had. Uh, 49 i guess a couple of years ago but uh but getting into that 40 area which is uh which is pretty pretty impressive yeah certainly is uh, tough to beat that uh well we're talking we're sort of talking about guys working out in you know shorts and t-shirts or whatever i guess they're they're wearing these more outfits in indianapolis for the combine but we're seeing that also here at usc at least they started up uh, winter workouts again. It's it's hard. You know, we we've talked about just getting the schedules down and getting the playbook down. So we're not seeing huge numbers of guys come up. But we got to go to a workout last week, and um, one of the comments you made. We had a question on this. Dan uh, Tarek wrote in. He said he mentioned during your post on uscfootball.com during the winter workouts that Sua Cravens looked was looking like a linebacker. Now, how big do you estimate he is, and how big do you think Max Brown is? I actually, with Sua, I stopped him the other day, and I said, uh, you're definitely taller, right? And he, yeah, he is. He's 6'2". He was, I mean, this, he was a young kid, so he's up to 6'2". I thought he, I said, are you, you getting close to 230? He said, no, 225. He's right at 6'2", 225, which is a really uh, decent size. Yeah. <laughs> decent size for a person with that, that athleticism, that quickness, that closing speed, uh, those ball skills that he has. So, but uh, uh, some of the guys were kidding him about being a linebacker, and he said, no, 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 not a linebacker. <laughs> not anyway, I'm a linebacker. But, uh, yeah, 6'2", 225, and uh, looked pretty good at, at 6'2", 225. And what did you think overall of the, the workouts there? We got to see, you know, the guys throw the football around, really wasn't, a lot of scholarship wide receivers there, but you know what? What did you think of the first workout we got to see? Well, they, you know, they filled in. That's one of the things they've learned how over the last couple of years to just make do. And so you've got basically two high school kids in you know Ajane uh, Harris and 
Malik Condiff, I guess, uh, from North Torrance, who was a buddy, and uh, just asked to come on out, and and they did a pretty good job. Obviously, Ajane, you know, will be an athlete and find a spot. I think uh, he was kind of a revelation, but uh, but I just, you know, they seem to be able to make it go. Uh, I thought uh, what we saw a lot of was uh, the guys that are getting to work in pass coverage, the linebackers, for example, with uh, Jabari Ruffin and Scott Starr getting to do a whole lot of uh, pass coverage work, and uh, I thought that was really good. They they got to do a lot of running, a lot. I mean, where last year we would see Morgan Breslin and, and Devon Kennard doing that every day. Now you're seeing the next group coming along, and you saw uh, Hayes, is kind of the uh, you know instigator there in, in in the middle of everything, and those three uh, really really busted their tails on every play. Uh, you see uh, Leon McQuay growing up, bigger, stronger. Uh, what you see the difference between being a you know kid just right out of high school and now having a year in the system. Uh, so you got to see things like that. I think uh, the two quarterbacks. I think they you know got a situation now where with Max Brown, and I don't know how much stronger and bigger. I mean, he's definitely stronger, and how much he, he's throwing the ball. The release is, you know, the ball is just popping out. Uh, it's not kind of the, you know, he looked more like he had, he, you know, he was obviously good coming out of high school, and he looked last year more like the high school kid who was the best, you know, quarterback, dropback uh, quarterback in the country, pro-style quarterback in the country, but he still looked – looked a little young. He doesn't look that way now. He's much more sure of himself, uh, much uh, bigger, stronger. I mean, I think they, you know, what we thought they had last year, maybe this is the year where you have essentially you've got a couple of guys who are starting quarterbacks, and, and that's that's really a good thing. I think you can't, you know, have too much insurance at that position. Cody clearly is the leader, and he's the guy that, you know, make sure everybody's there and make sure they, you know, the balls are there and the cones are there and the managers are there and they've got the field to work on and working on, you know, times and places and all the other stuff that, that the leader has to do. But uh, but I, I was I was impressed for the fact that, you know, with just 20 or so guys there, they really did get some stuff done. And uh, we'd like to see, you know, more guys there. Obviously, you'd love to see, uh, the entire wide receiver group when they get there, although whether that's going to happen before before the spring, even during the spring, we're not sure. But um, as we say, it'll be, it's a work in progress, but they seem to be able to handle uh, whatever comes their way. And that may be a, a, an unintended consequence or a byproduct of, of having to, to do all the things they've had to do the last couple of years personnel-wise. And... Um, and I, you know, that's a good thing, I think. Uh, well, Terry had a question for you, Dan. He said, given both the athletic and mental skill sets required uh, for one primary football position, along with the other off-the-field requirements of a student athlete, do you think it's realistic for a player to master and play positions on both sides of the ball in a given season? You know, I think there are a few guys that can do it. Uh, you have to be really smart as, as to how you do it. Could Sua do it? Yeah, he could. He really could. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have him do everything. You wouldn't even think about doing everything. But there would be some ways in which I think uh, a guy like that. I think Marquise probably, uh, you know, could have been uh, inserted some situations on defense and uh, some coverages and be able to play the ball. But you're right. There's just probably not enough time uh, for you to be able to do. To do both, but but wide receiver probably has the ability to um, you know to play some defense you know if that were uh, necessitated, and I think uh, Sua would have the ability to do a couple of things on offense if you really needed him to. Probably not play quarterback, but uh, I think there are, there are places he could play. And the other day, you know, we got to see him run run patterns, and uh, he's a kind of an in- interesting. At his size, he's a he'd be an interesting matchup problem for uh, for defenders. But uh, but I think I think within reason, you could do it for the right person at the right time if you're real smart about it.
All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Terry. And let's see. How about Fight On 007 had a question. What are the chances in Dan Weber's estimation that the NCAA will just settle with Todd McNair and we will never see all of those emails? Also, suppose they did settle. How do you think sports writers would sports writers would cover this story? Good questions. Uh, I'm not sure that the NCAA has any control over the emails. They've been filed in a public case in California. The first judge that looked at them said they should be, you know, that there is a public interest and they should be uh, available to the public. So I'm not sure. The emails really aren't in under control right now of either Todd McNair or the NCAA. They're basically... Uh, belong to the court, and for purposes of the case right now, uh, they're under seal. But um, I think if there's a settlement, I don't I don't know how they have the um, the ability to say we don't want anyone to see those emails. I think that'd be a very hard case for the NCA to make in California. So I know people are worried about that, but I'm not sure that's an option. Uh, not a lawyer. So, uh, but, uh, but I think that's, that's, you know, the one part of that. The second part, I think pretty much the, we've seen a complete turnaround in terms of the media. They know USC got screwed. They know the NCAA screwed USC. I mean, if they didn't understand that at the beginning, which most of them didn't, all they had to do was pay attention to every single case that came since then. And it's hit them. Oh, wow, they've treated USC completely differently. And while those others all look guilty as hell involving people at the university in order to better the team, USC had a completely different case where, you know, we're suing, there's a lawsuit going on to determine whether even the one person the NCAA alleged knew about it, had anything to do with it, and certainly he didn't have anything to do in terms of creating it or causing it or helping it or benefiting from it as did as USC didn't. So um, it would be hard for any coverage to be, you know, favorable to the NCAA, one would think. If they settle with Todd, uh, and I guess the terms of how that settlement would be, I mean, one would think uh, that's where USC would, would would attempt to get in on the case and say, you know, if that if that happens, what about our records? What about you know the trophy? What about the championship? What about all the other things that you alleged and took away from USC as a result of a case that now turns out to be essentially you know a uh, an eligibility case involving you know Reggie Bush and that some of the decisions made about whether Reggie when the uh, when the benefits started, when Reggie knew about it, for example, the NCAA clearly established in the Cam Newton case that, well, if the player doesn't know about it, gosh, there's no harm, no foul. Whatever his dad does, whatever happens there, the player doesn't know, well, how do we believe anything that the NCAA says about did Reggie Bush know, was Reggie Bush involved, uh, for the uh, Orange Bowl, the Oklahoma game, national championship game, that the NCAA said something had already started by that time. Uh, I think there are ways in which USC would almost have to demand that its name be cleared, its, the records be uh, changed and removed, you know, all the things that all those kinds of sanctions uh, be, be changed if there is some sort of settlement with Todd McNair, because that basically, no matter how, you know, people say, oh, the NCAA case didn't have anything to do with Todd McNair. The NCAA said so. Well, the NCAA only said so because they knew how much trouble they were in, in terms of of, uh, how badly they screwed up the Todd McNair situation. But let's face it, without Todd McNair, they've got no They've gotten no case against USC, and everybody knows it. Just because they say they didn't need Todd McNair at the very end, which looks like when you read their um, the NCA findings, it looks like that was a last-minute change, and they only changed it because they got cold feet because they knew how badly they'd uh, 
it screwed up the whole Todd McNair situation. So, so I think, you know, it would be a beneficial for USC. It happened a long time ago, though. Now, it's hard for people to, uh, you know, they were so excited about that case, you know, four years ago. Now, so much has happened. USC's gone through all the penalties. It's kind of, you know, it is what it is. It's in the past, pretty much. So uh, I think USC would get some favorable uh, treatment. The NCA would get the similar, you know, that they've gotten as to, you know, they're they're corrupt and they screwed it up and they're untrustworthy. But uh, so what else is new? You know, like, <laughs> tell us something we don't know. You know, it's kind of old news at this point. So anyway, that's that's just kind of a, a guesstimate as to how that might play out. All right, Dan, thanks for that. And we got one last topic we wanted to talk about, um, the basketball team. So I'm going to play a uh, voicemail question for you first, and we'll, we'll start off with that, on the USC Hoops team. Hi, this is Sean from Kentucky. I just wanted to call and kind of uh, talk about basketball for a second and get your reactions. Um, I understand people are very, very impatient with uh, Coach Angel this year and the results that he's gotten. But I think you really have to give him time to get his players in there because I actually am a high school basketball coach. I went back and looked at what he did at Florida Gulf Coast and what he's doing at USC, and he just doesn't have the players. He doesn't have the athleticism or really the basketball IQ to be able to run what he wants to run. It's kind of like an organized chaos. It's not a whole lot of sets, just guys that can read and react and play and uh, just make decisions on the fly. Uh, he's bringing in the recruiting guys that he needs, uh, some extremely athletic guys, some guys with high basketball IQ, guys that are long, seven foot, seven foot one wingspans, and that's what you need to play his system of play, but you know, there are not very many college basketball coaches that can manipulate their system to their personnel. Most of them just try and fit the guys they have into their system. But um, it's not going to work right now with Coach Enfield. And I think give him a couple years and he's going to do it. Uh, unfortunately, not everyone is a John Calipari that can bring in top-flight recruits and go to an Elite Eight their first year. Uh, enjoy the podcast and fight on. Uh, coming from Kentucky, I think, the example that I always had of of Kentucky was was when Rick Pitino came in, and I thought you know he was really under talented. He had those little kids that you know high school kids from the state of Kentucky, not the national recruits, and they got just in some games blitz. I think Kansas beat him 150 to 75, something like that, because they kept pressing and was on the road. And they weren't going to not play the way they wanted to play, even if they didn't have the talent. But that team eventually, you know, went on to play some of those guys in the greatest, uh, you know, college basketball game that any of us ever seen, that Kentucky-Duke game. And uh, uh, what they did and what Patino did was established, even if he didn't have the players, this is how we're going to play. This is how hard we're going to play. This is how fast we're going to play. This is our style. This is who we are. And we're going to recruit to it, but we're going to play to it right now. The the worrisome thing for me is I don't see a style. I don't see a a philosophy. I don't see a this is who we are. This is what an Andy Enfield team is going to look like. I thought I saw that a lot last year at Florida Gulf Coast. But if you would ask anybody, what is USC basketball? How do they win games? How do they play? Who do, you know, who are they, you know, what are they trying to do? I'm not sure. You know, they, they just seem like a, a team that doesn't know exactly what it's supposed to do, which seems to be where some of the stuff breaks down, where they, they don't seem to know who they are and what they want to do. I do like, like a lot of people, I like who they got coming in next year from the combination of the transfers and the signees. I think they've done a great job. Uh, but uh, I wish 
I had a sense of where this is going. What are they going to play like next year? What are they going to look like? How is this team? Uh, for example, why didn't they get better? Why did they take a nosedive once they hit the conference? And you could say, oh, they're playing better. You know, they beat Boston College. Okay, how, about, how good is Boston? Well, they beat Syracuse. They ended Syracuse's 25 and 0 string. They beat a, a pretty good Xavier team, not always good Xavier team, but and they beat a uh, pretty good Dayton team. And, you know, up-tempo games that where they just played to the end, played hard, that seemed to stop. Now, was that just the fact that the Pac-12 coaches really have them scouted, really know their tendencies, really know what to take away from them, really won't let them do anything else, and they can't? I don't know. But it, it, it so often doesn't look like USC is playing its game, whatever that game is. And I think you have to be able to do that. So I think as much as as you give them time and you have to give them time and you have to give them uh, as much time as, as it takes, I wish I would have seen more from this year's team as to where they're going. You know, you could say, well, next year we're going to do this but with with better players, with a whole lot of different players or, or with a whole lot more talent or a whole lot more help for these guys. But I don't see that. I mean, I don't, I don't see how are they supposed to be playing and winning games. I'm not sure. I wish I had more of a sense of, of having had that established this year. Why can't they, you know, establish the post – presence at all. I mean, if you start a 7-2 and a 6-10 guy, you ought to be able to get the ball to the low blocks, but they can't. And I know you can all say it's all, you know, the player's fault, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I really wish I had a, had a more confident sense about uh, about where this is going in terms of, of uh, how USC is playing. And I think that was always the big question about the football team was who were they? How were they going to win games? You know, were they going to be a counterpuncher? And if, you know, Washington State uh, drops a, you know, back, plays a, you know, uh, completely tries to stop the pass and you just don't, don't pass? Uh, and you let the other team dictate how you're going to play? Uh, I'm not sure that that that's how you want to do it. But, uh, but I don't think we know uh, how this is going other than we know I think they did a good job uh, getting uh, six or so new players in here next year that are going to be pretty good. Um, well, there we have some, you know, people that are talking about give them time, like the last caller. But we also have Richard and Toluca Lake who called. I think he called last week too, but I just wanted to kind of read one of his uh, one of the lines from his phone call, he said that this turns from Dunk City into Turnover City. Um, it, he's not real happy with what Andy Edfield's doing. There's some USC basketball fans out there. I know there's not a lot of them, but there's some that, that really aren't happy, and they're, they don't want to wait. They want to see the kind of progress that you haven't really seen from this team. What do you kind of tell those those people that they're impatient about what Andy Edfield's doing right now? Well, you know, I think they should be. I think that's a good thing. I think uh... – Having been around, for example, uh, and, and, and the big, you know, I watched both Kentucky football and basketball. There were years Kentucky football had some real talent, but very often it didn't produce. One of the reasons, the expectations weren't there. People didn't expect them to win, and they lost games they should have won in the Southeastern Conference because the expectations weren't there. The good thing about as high as the expectations are in, in basketball, for example, they're really unhappy when they're not playing up to their ability or when they're not, you know, winning. And uh, I don't think it would be a bad thing for USC basketball to have people with high expectations and, you know, people who don't say, oh, well, it's just basketball or what are you going to do or blah, blah, blah. You know, USC, where it is, <laughs> with the high school, you know, pos- you know, prospects all around, with the uh, school that USC's got, with the arena USC's got, with the location, 
two NBA franchises, you know, a mile and a half down the road. All of the all the things that USC has gotten, I think the expectations to perform in the Pac-12 should be really high, and I don't think anybody should back off from that. So I don't think you should feel bad if you're a USC basketball fan who's disappointed or has high expectations. Uh, I think you know everybody should be kind of disappointed with the uh, progress or lack thereof for this team. And I just don't know that it's enough of an excuse to say, wait till next year, we didn't have any talent, we didn't have any uh, chance to win these games. Uh, I know Mike Montgomery from Cal was talking about USC, and he was shocked. I mean, they lost they lost that first game to USC, and he was shocked that USC hasn't won more games and didn't have a good explanation because the team he saw was pretty good. And I don't know that we've gotten a good explanation as to just exactly what has happened with this team's inability to to make any sort of progress. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff, and uh, we'll see what goes on with the basketball team. It's not like the NBA where they're playing for a draft pick. <laughs> it would no, be nice. They've, to... got, they've gotten theirs, <laughs> and I think you know, good you know, good for next year and whether. All six of those guys are going to come in and play right away and immediately turn things around. We'll see. I mean, I think they've got a chance to be better fairly quickly uh, as long as they haven't figured out how they want to get better. And this year's team uh, wasn't able to do that. It was not. All right. Well, good stuff. We always appreciate you coming on the show. We'll uh, be able to talk more about off-season workouts ahead in the spring ball, I think, from – these podcasts going forward. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks again, Dan. Thank you, Ryan. Enjoyed it. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We're actually going to try to do a recruiting blast this week. So I'll get with Gerard Martinez and try to do that. So send us in your questions. If you have any recruiting questions, class of 2015 is getting going right away. So uh, lots, still, you know, 11 months or whatever until signing day, but they're, they're getting going on that. So we'll stay tuned for all that. And thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 